0: Well, hello, Scott. It's really good to see you again. We've already been talking for a while, and that um, I thought that we might turn the video recorder on when you used a word that we can look into. You used the word "finally," and you go back and reconstruct your sentence.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh-uh. Okay. I said. Uh, I said the final. <laughs> Final, right? The, <laughs> the final realization is that there's nothing that's worth wanting or nothing worth chasing after. Uh, so as a byproduct of that understanding, we are liberated from the endless cycle of chasing after something that we'll never get or when we get it, It won't. It's going to turn out like new things are going to pop up that it's not as good as we thought it was going to be. And. Mm -hmm. uh, And we're just going to and then we're going to want something else.
0: All right. Well, let's play with that word finally for a moment. Let's say that last week you had an event and in that event you had a realization that finally you don't have to. Bust after that thing. okay? so now we've got last week and that thing is anchors that we can use. All right. So last week you had a realization that finally you don't have to chase that thing. Well, next week you start chasing that thing, but you've already had the final realization that you don't have to chase that thing. And so now you're just going to keep chasing it. I think that it might be a good idea to have yet a new. Realization.
1: Yeah, I see your point. Uh, I've had a, I've had a lot of final realizations uh-huh. where I'm like, "Oh, this is it. This is it." Well, it is it in the moment, but
0: in the moment, that's exactly yeah. right. Nothing is final. The question is, do you have the skills to handle whatever happens in this particular moment? As opposed to saying that my skills are so powerful that they prevent things from ever happening you're not Mm. going to have that kind of skill. Mm.
1: What are the skills to handling? Wait, what did you say right before that? The skills to handle whatever happens? Whatever's
0: happening, right. Okay, Okay, here are a list of the skills. The first one is the skill of sati, to wake up. The second skill is then to investigate and then the third is, is to take the right effort to change that mental state into something wholesome and then the next skill is the feeling of success i can do this these are the four skills of the Eightfold noble path we can then further talk about those skills in combination of the skill of being able to get into the first jhana. And then the second skill there is the skill of maintaining that first jhana. All right. So those would be six skills. The skill to keep looking, that's it. Because if you have a final realization, that means you stop looking.
2: That's the final one. You stop looking.
0: I've got it now. Okay. Uh, the Greeks or the Romans, actually, I think, call that resting on old laurels. In other words, I've already had that battle. Therefore, I'm the champion of that battle. Okay. Uh, professional boxers recognize that that great big gold belt that they have or whatever uh, championship. Thing that they have moves from person to person to person. This year's world champion is not going to be next world champion, and only rarely do we find something, someone like Muhammad Ali that can do it three times. But even then, he took such a beating that he couldn't do it after that. Okay, that mm-hmm. there's only so many times that we can take that beating. But the point that we're making here is, is that once we realize over and over and over again then we are on guard for it next time so that Ali has eventually say I don't need to be that champion anymore it's okay now I've done what I need to do I've finished with that but um, there's still that longing to go back and to get into the fight again the question is can he resist that or is he going to have a final realization? I got to stop this because I've gotten Parkinson's disease and I've had my head bashed in and I don't need any of that and I'm out of shape. And then somebody comes like uh, King and I'll "I'll give you $10 billion if you just fight. You don't even have to win it, just fight. We need Muhammad Ali in the ring again, okay? And so now his desire is I got to go fight again. I got to go fight again. And he's not ready to go fight again. So he needs yet a new realization. I got to stop this. So one realization I got to stop was not enough. Okay. Another example, which I've just been talking to a student of because he was talking about uh, karmic bank accounts or something like this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and he said uh, something about well, what happens with all my horrible behavior. My answer to that was is that if you're calling past actions that you have done horrible, and yet you continue to do them, and then the next time that you call it horrible, you do it, or basically you go do it again, but you're not calling it horrible, and then later you call it horrible, now you're that karmic bank. You're the bank. You're the one who is calling your deeds horrible, but you're continuing to do them. So when he calls it horrible, he's having a realization. I've got to stop that. He needs to have that realization when he is doing those horrible things, not remorseful later. So there's another example of it. Uh, Let's keep that going in the sense of unremitting mindfulness. Let's keep remembering to look. Let's keep remembering to look. Let's keep remembering to take the effort to say no. Let's remember to take the effort to say no and stop. Stop doing the horrible things. Stop the fighting. And you can have that realization and stop one time, and then you go back and start fighting again, unless you have another realization to stop because it's an old habit. So I wouldn't, that's, that's, you know, we've talked now five minutes or 10 minutes almost on that word, finally. It's a dangerous word. And we can see that it gives us great uh, gratification. Finally, the war is over. Finally, I don't have to do it anymore because we don't see the danger that finally don't work. Hmm. Okay. And so later now we get caught in it because we have the idea that finally i'm over that when it fact we're not we're not over anything ever we need to always be on guard
1: um would you say that when you die it's finally
0: let us say that that would be something that we can at least admit that you don't know any more than I do. And I don't know any more than you do because no one's ever come back after death. To tell us all about it. No one knows. No one knows what happens after a Buddha dies and no one knows what happens after ordinary people die. You don't know. All we have is a bunch of stories.
2: So if we don't know, can we at
0: least accept that we don't know? And then every time you think about what happens after death, you'll have to be, go through that little sequences to remember to look at your asking the question you have no answer to, and it's better to throw that question out of your mind because you don't have an answer. All you can do is frustrate yourself by asking what happens after death. And most of the people who come interested in Buddhism, they get really, really stuck on that. Rebirth, reincarnation, all that kind of stuff. They're worried about it. That's what that business of the uh, comic bank account is all about. It's all just magical thinking. It's a magical question, what happens after death, because we don't know. One of the things that is fairly well known, and that is, is that when some, even for the warrior, after he's dead, the war is over. That death is the highest peace. Once we're dead, there is nothing left to do. Literally nothing left to do.
2: That we do know. No coming back. You
0: undo things that we did do. Making retributions. Once we're dead, gone. And we don't know about anything after that. Guess what? You don't need to know anything about it. It's irrelevant. That in fact, what we do need to know is that it is irrelevant. And so that would be a realization Death. what happens after death is irrelevant to being alive. But there is one point to make, and that is, is that dying is different than death. Dying is when you're still alive on your way to death. And the question is, is how are you going to die? How is your dying? Are you going to die well? Or are you going to die miserably? Are you going to die clinging to life? Or are you willing to let go? Because you don't have any choice about dying or not, but you do mm-hmm. have choice uh, uh, about how you are going to die.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you're ready to die, then only then are you ready to live. Because so long as people are afraid of death, they will also be afraid of life because life will bring death in most cases. Mm. When you're not afraid of your dying, then we can live.
2: Uh, okay, so
1: I was going to say that I have, um, I'm not afraid of death. Or like
0: I have come to the realization you don't, that i not afraid of death. You don't, you don't, you have the concept that you're not afraid of death. You do not have a snake crawling around you right now. You do not have a lion who has grabbed you by the throat and is dragging you down the forest trail that's when we have to know whether we're afraid of death or not is when it is there
2: to be seen when you're flying
0: off a motorcycle with greatest of ease 15 but, feet in the air still doing 100 miles an hour and you have time to think
1: <laughs> isn't that magical thinking though
0: Well, it's imminent. It's right here, right now. Here I am, 15 feet off the ground, going 100 miles an hour, going I don't know where, but I'm heading in that direction. And what's going to happen when I get there, I don't know whether I'm going to live or not. We can sit here and conceptualize about flying through the air at 15 you know, feet above the ground at 100 miles an hour, but actually being 15 feet off the ground and heading at 100 miles an hour. I haven't even done that. I was doing a little bit less, but I was still that far off the ground.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> at highway speeds, it's dangerous when you're doing it solo. <laughs> So, you got in the,
1: so, you're on a motorcycle or something?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, um, I have. I am not an evil Knievel because I haven't broken every bone, but I've broken several, about a dozen or so. And so, uh, warriors also, they know what death is because they have been in the face of death. People who get whirled into surgery sometimes, they're facing their own death. But in fact, facing one's death can be kind of life-changing. Also, uh, Another example of that in another context is those who actually do go through a dark night of the soul, through it, not stuck in it. Some people get stuck in it. Most Christians get stuck in it. Goodness for the Buddhists because they're able to come through it with a bit of help, and that's life changing. How bad can you get? Can you anywhere? survive it? <laughs> <laughs> How bad
1: all can you get?
0: And then, it really does. But,
1: it really but, does feel like you're dying. The mm-hmm. out of the soul. It feels like you're dying, like really dying, and it could be terrifying, but.
0: Well, that's the whole point is, is that why is it? why are we terrified? So, in that remark, or that way of looking at it, it's the being afraid of death when death is nowhere around. And if we can deal with fear because it's so big, when there's no no real reality of death anywhere around, that should give us the um, uh, let us say the uh, The enthusiasm for the sati to wake up, don't get afraid like that. Don't get that kind of afraid. That's ridiculous to get that afraid, especially when you don't have something imminent to be afraid of. We literally talk ourselves into that kind of thing. How unwholesome can a meditator get by going into the dark night of the soul? and being so terrified <laughs> when in fact there's nothing there. It's better to experiment when the cobra's already got you, right after you've been bitten by the cobra, and now that's the time to experience whether or not I'm going to uh, have to deal with death or not. When it's imminent. And so what we can do is we can go through that conceptually as well as reality to come to the conclusion that it really is going to be okay that I can die. And then when it comes, I'm going to work with Sati to make sure that I'm not going to be afraid. I can feel that fear coming at the point of death, and throw it out. If I've got that eightfold over path going there, that's the skill. Sometimes we really, really need sati, and that's one of them. Another time when things are really, really dangerous is the time when we need sati, like getting arrested, getting shot.
1: Okay, how how can we? How can I be ready um, to? to skillfully do the jujitsu thing, like you're saying, with other people's uh, negative vibration? Uh, Because I find myself... um
0: By dealing with the subtle ones, okay, let us put it this way. Whenever someone who is unskilled and unpracticed but decides to go to the gym and start working out, he begins at the beginning. He goes with a two uh, pound dumbbell, not a 10 kilo dumbbell. We have to start and build the skills on little things. Okay. Now there's also the possibility of going to the gym and picking up a weight that doesn't do you much value. Like a one ounce weight. They don't even have one ounce weights at the gym because why would you bother with a one ounce weight? All right. So there are going to be some things that are too subtle, but there is a range of things that we can begin to deal with. And when we're beginning to deal with that range of things, which is our ordinary reality, the ordinary things that we're dealing with, as we begin to gain those skills in that realm, the easy part, then that will help us gain the skills that we'll need then to start developing the ends. Things that used to be too subtle to be seen or too quick to happen that we didn't see it. Now we can begin to pick that stuff up, but we can also uh, uh, gain the skills to start to deal with things that are really, really, really heavy. Well, if that's the case, then uh, we have to take kind of a different perspective on that what really is heavy is often not starting heavy it grows heavy an example of that yeah we'll do this how heavy is this cup it's about half full of coffee or water how heavy is it
1: maybe a couple ounces i don't
0: ah you've fallen into the trap You're I did not ask you how much does it weigh? I said, how heavy is it?
1: Uh,
0: Now, let's go with this, okay? I guess you're
1: holding it up, so it's not heavy.
0: Well, Well, it depends upon how long I hold it up. If I hold it up for five minutes, it might start to get heavy. If I hold it up there for an hour, it's sure going to be heavy. If I hold it up all day long tomorrow, I won't be able to use my arm. Okay, so the heaviness has to do with how often that I pick it up and how long I hold it. In that regard, we can say then that I, that uh, the first jhana can be heavy once you have the skill. Of picking it up and holding it, picking it up and holding it and holding and holding and holding, and that'll gain you skill. But most of the things are like our thoughts are like this cup here, is that it will get heavy if we keep holding it. Mm. The, where things are dangerous is because we keep dwelling on it. And keep thinking about it and keeping it on the mind over and over again. And we do that ignorantly because we're not recognizing that it's dangerous to keep holding that thing, especially if it's like anger. Or that you're upset with the government or upset with someone or you're upset with any of that, this, that and the other thing. Then you recognize that it is going to get heavy if you keep those thoughts. Going. It's better to just say, thank you, Mr. Cup, for recognizing that you've got heavy, I'm going to set you down. That's what we're starting to look at is, is that when do things get heavy, is that's when we need to inspect them. Because a lot of thoughts are not duke until we keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And then we've gotten into a repetition of heavy and so it's better to wake up to those kind of thoughts that will get heavy and have the kind of thoughts that are going to be light lightweight thoughts that are not heavy so you've been asking about um dealing with other people if you've got something heavy on your mind and you're dealing with someone who has something heavy on his mind, you're not going to be able to help that person very much if you've got heavy, just like he's got heavy. So the first thing that has to be done is, is that you have to become unheavy. You've got to put down the burden that you're carrying. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, you've got to put down that burden. Because if you're already weighed down, and now you're trying to save someone from drowning, he's going to be a heavy burden as well as all the rocks you got in your pocket. It may be better for you to take the rocks out of your pocket before you try to go save someone.
1: Well, I don't want to save anyone. I just want to stay in my happiness. Like that's okay. the thing it's like I don't feel heavy until it's someone else's heavy.
0: Ah, so why do you have to pick up their heavy?
1: I don't know. I just do. It just happens. Feel, it feels. You seems do.
0: Like- right. Sympathetic vibration. What you're saying is that their heavy is more powerful than your light. Imagine Sometimes. it like a, bl- a balloon with a you know a hot air balloon with a basket. Hmm. And you invite somebody into your hot air balloon with the basket, and now the balloon won't leave the ground because that person's too heavy for your basket. Mm. Okay, that's a way of looking at it. That you've invited somebody into your basket and now they're too heavy and you can't take off anymore because they're too heavy. But if you come to someone and they're very, very heavy and you invite them into your basket, then not the two of you go. That means that now. Your your um, happiness or your uh, levity is more powerful than they heavy. Mm. All right. This is the quality of mudita. You've heard the, the words uh, um, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. Mm-hmm. Of all of those four words, that one is the more important one. And what uh, uh, mudita is pointing at is sympathetic. Vibrations that whatever a person is vibrating on, he kind of expects his whole reality to vibrate the way he's vibrating. Which means that anybody who comes into that person's sphere of influence into his reality has got to vibrate the way that he's vibrating. Angry people want you to be angry. Miserable people want you to be miserable, right? Misery loves company. Anger loves a fight. But if you go into that uh, anger or if you go into that misery and you do not become angry or miserable, instead, you can maintain your joy and maintain your joy and maintain your joy, then that begins to rub off. The question is, which one is going to rub off most? Is his anger going to rub off on you, or is your joy going to rub off on him? That's your question. The answer is wakey wakey, because you could probably figure out a way here to get to start rubbing this joy off on him, so that he can lighten up.
1: Get, uh, getting a bigger balloon.
0: Uh, yeah, I'll be getting. It, let's let's get a bigger, brighter balloon. Exactly. Mm-hmm that in fact is part of the technique, not just with psychology and psychotherapist and um, uh, meditation masters. I mean, it's just a common thing, even in martial arts. The martial artist uh, teacher will set the student up to become frustrated, to set him up for failure. And then, teach him the right thing so that we can in fact bring him out of so we intentionally put him into frustration just so that he can see the frustration and then help him out of the frustration this is a learning experience you do that that's the job lot of the teacher I do it a lot don't I <laughs> <laughs> And how I'm doing that is both ways with mudita. Mudita is the um, the, the mechanism or the tool. That I can put somebody in a particular mood and then I can take them out and put them in another mood. Anyone can do that. The question is, is,
2: are you watching what you're doing? So that too is a skill to be developed, which is just watching what you're doing.
0: So if you know that that's a skill, you can see that that's uh, the way of dealing with people in your life who were playing their misery games. Just be joyful if you can. And if you can't, I would recommend take a hike and go get yourself joy and then come back and try again. Never mind. Start again.
1: (laughs) That's exciting because I want to have that superpower to just be joyful in the presence it's of it's
0: not a superpower it's not okay. super <laughs> that's a concept it's just a power
1: just a power just be just be you can be joyful no matter how miserable someone is you can still be joyful
0: yeah you can still be and joyful if you, you have to... presence of mind and not fall into that um, instinctual habit you see this is instinct it's actually the nesting instinct, going along to getting along. You've got to fit in. We're It's called a society because we're social animals. That mm. social is built in as an instinct. Mm. And so that's why mutita is so powerful is because it operates with instincts. And wakey, wakey, don't go down the instinct trail. Keep your wisdom. Don't go on automatic pilot. Look at what you're doing. Decide that you can feel the way you want to feel and take the right effort to feel that way. By
2: talking yourself into it. If I get frustrated when the student gets frustrated, I'm not going to help him.
0: So if you're dealing with anyone who's frustrated, if they can get you frustrated, which is their full intention, they have everyone who is frustrated anytime they're around anyone else. Their whole point is to get someone frustrated. And so, can you be uh, wise enough to not get frustrated, knowing that they want you to get frustrated?
2: I, I'm still a
1: little, I don't think I fully understand the talking yourself into it. I can I'm not quite sure how to do that. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's like. um, I'll just have like a random thought that's wholesome, and then I'm just like, oh, there's a wholesome thought. And then it just turns into more wholesome thoughts and goes. But. Uh, your teaching is that you can initiate that process and start it,
0: right? hmm intentionally start having wholesome thoughts with the intention of talking yourself into feeling good Like, never mind i don't have to do that right now what a relief give yourself relief basically you could say that uh even though it's not used often in buddhism the buddha did use this term to great advantage in at least one case. And so I could say now that I finally found a one-word definition of Buddhism. What's that? Well, before we can see that we know of three-word version, the three-word version is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. A four-word version is, don't worry, be happy. Mm -hmm. Kowanka's four-word version is, never mind, start again. And I use that one as the example because the one-word version is the word
2: stop.
0: Which sounds exactly contradictory to the never mind, start again. But a better way of saying never mind, start again is to never mind, to stop what you were doing again, and just pay attention to the breath. And so that would be a one-word definition of the entire teaching of Buddha: is just
2: stop. What a relief it is, just stop. So then you stop,
1: something comes up again, and then you have to stop again.
0: Stop again. And then stop, 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 stop. Again. Well, stop, stop, stop stop, But you have to say it all over again because things get started. Everything is temporary, everything is subject to change. And so, this is also the teaching of, uh, in a new way of looking at it, is uh, you heard the Trilokana Anicca Dukkha Anatta. Anicca Mm -hmm. Dukkha Anatta. That's fairly common within Buddhism. And in fact,
1: three characteristics.
0: Three characteristics. Now, the three characteristics can all, there's a little poem also. Sabe Sankara Anicca, Sabe Sankara Dukkha, Sabe Dhamma Anatta. What this means is, is that anything that can change will change. Just like Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong, will go wrong. And it'll go wrong at the worst possible moment when, which means it's when it's under its greatest stress. The power supplies don't overheat until they're putting out their maximum amount of power. So this is what we mean by that, is to say anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And it's going to go wrong at the worst possible moment. So the only way that you're going to not get anything to go wrong is to not do anything. Stop. In other words, rockets will not red glare, they will not burst in the air if you don't send up any rockets. And people send up rockets because they want something really desperately, like to get to Mars or the moon or on satellites or whatever like that. And so this is the concept of the Buddha, is just stop. You've already gotten everything that you need. So this would be a way of saying this is the whole teaching of the Buddha. And he said that to Angulimala. And Gulimala and and said, Stop, monk, stop, because he's trying to catch up with it. And the Buddha says, I have stopped. You stop too. See. And if that's the way that the Buddha says it, then I could say that, okay, well, that's an, a way of looking at the entire teachings of the Buddha. That's what the Buddha does. He stops. Why? Because the job is done. The work that needed to be done has been done and there's nothing left to do. So why not stop working? So when somebody is angry and you're in their vicinity and they want you to get angry with them, all you have to do is just stop. You don't have to get angry with them. When somebody is miserable and you're uh, there in their vicinity and they invite you into their pity party, stop. Stop doing what you were told to do and start looking at things the way that is best to be done. In this moment, but that kind of realization is not a final realization because you have to keep stopping over and over. You have to realize now to stop,
2: stop what we're doing, and and that's the escape.
0: The uh, We've talked about gratification, danger, and escape. You know that characteristic. The same thing with uh, that. You could see then that uh, Anicca is the situation that everything is in turmoil. I don't have to go into turmoil because everything's in turmoil. If I go into turmoil because everything is in turmoil, then that's Dukkha. But if everything is in turmoil and whoever I am, the I has stopped then that eye doesn't have any Dukkha. So there's many different ways of expressing this. It was a kind of a hard concept because most of us think with meditation you got to do something. And the reality is, is that we got to stop. we got to stop these unwholesome thoughts. That's what
2: we need to stop.
0: And once we yeah. stop, then we recognize, hey, now it's easy. Things are so easy now because <laughs> they're stopped. There's nothing to do now.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Stopping unwholesome thoughts is wholesome. I guess where I was stuck with the um, talking yourself into it is that I don't know. I, I, I like that better. Stopping unwholesome thoughts. That seems like a more like practical thing to do. Because sometimes mm-hmm. if, if I try to like think a wholesome thought. It's just me. Um, it's just like it seems fake. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it seems fake well, to just.
0: The, yeah. the But here's the point now then is that what we need to do is to stop the fake. Because the fake is unwholesome. Then, in fact, what we're saying, what what many of the students say is, is that when I am talking myself into wholesome uh, states, I don't go into wholesome states. When I talk myself into feeling good, I don't feel good. Or when I do feel good, it's still not good enough. Okay, that's that judging, criticizing mind that we need to stop and just start nurturing. And so when I have the thought of, uh, never mind, start again, and everything is okay, and it still doesn't feel okay, then we can say, okay, we can stop that too. Just as every, it's already okay. And we keep talking to ourselves about how nice it is, and everything is fine. And when we then have that thought of, it ain't good enough yet, That's the thought to stop. That's the hindrance. You stop that thought and come back into, never mind, it's okay. What we actually do is that after we're practicing correctly, then we start judging it, keeping score. That's another way of looking at it. Okay, so this is what we actually, in practice of Anapanasati, is learning the practice of to stop keeping
2: score because you've already won.
0: Why do we keep trying to rack up the score? Yeah, just you already got one. Just stop trying to keep score. Stop stop trying to compare this.
1: Yeah. yeah. Stop trying to compare this happiness to the infinite love I was experiencing yesterday or whatever it was.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, that we often use the past as an enemy. Just like we use perfect as the enemy of the good. Because the perfect is always in the past. Or worse still is only a concept out in the future someplace. And whatever we have now, we compare against that magical perfection and whatever's happening right now never matches up. It never is up to the scratch of the ideal. That is merely nothing but concept. So that's another way we need to stop our idealization.
1: That feels a lot better to stop idealizing, stop our idealization.
2: Mm-hmm. Just this be moment. Yeah. It's just it's fine enough. how it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just fine right now. Everything's okay.
0: And so you can see then that those people who are miserable and want you to be miserable too... How they do that is by giving you their idealizations that they're not matching up to, and they want you to hold that idealization so you don't match up to it also, and now you're both misery together. Misery loves company by proving to you that you're not good enough, just like they're not good enough. They proved it to themselves they're not good enough, so they want you to feel not good enough, and so you both can be miserable.
2: And you're already good enough.
0: So stop idealizing because that's how we compare ourselves and then turn into losers because we can't meet our ideals. We can't match up to our own set of standards. That's another point of ignorance is is that ignorance is, is that we we take ideals out of the top shelf and put them on the floor, and say, now, you got to meet this ideal. Mm.
1: Yeah, I've I, I definitely done that. Like an, an enlightened ideal.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of the main ones, right.
1: Yeah.
0: We, that uh, Western Buddhism has a um, an idealistic view of enlightenment, rather than a very, very practical view of enlightenment and then there is in fact a very very definite practical view of the word enlightenment though the word enlightenment is not used in the suttas anywhere even in uh well translators will use it but in the anapanasati sutra it talks about that we practice anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness Which means that Anapanasati is the method that we use to be mindful of the body, mindful of the feelings, mindful of the mind, and then eventually mindful of all of the objects that come into the mind, all the concepts. And then we practice the Satipatthana or the Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the Satipatthana, which then is the fulfillment of the seven factors of enlightenment. But here we're talking about fulfillment to where the Eightfold Noble Path is the method that we use after we have completed that method now it's fulfilled so the seven factors of enlightenment are actually the eightfold noble path one is the skills to be developed and the other one is the skills that now have been developed so that sati is unremitting and that our investigation keeps coming back and that the effort becomes almost energetic it's really easy and because of that, pity and sukha are very easy, and peacefulness is very easy, and equanimity is very easy, mostly because the mind is organized. And now, the point we practice the seven factors of enlightenment for the fulfillment of ta-da, what the Buddha calls knowledge and vision, or knowledge, excuse me, knowledge or vision and deliverance. So it's like Uh, the knowledge is finding the key and the deliverance is using the key to open the door. Another one would be saying that um, if the dog has a, a tick, if I know where that tick is, I can remove it. If I don't know where the tick is, I can't remove it. That's also, we cannot find the escape from the things that we are gratified with because we cannot see the danger. So once we see the danger, now we can do something about the danger. We can find an escape from that danger. All right? So this is the knowledge and deliverance. The word enlightenment has that quality also. When you look at the word enlightenment, the key word in it or the base word is light. And light also has the quality of daylight, shine a light on it. Um, And that means the knowledge. So the first stage of enlightenment is the knowledge, the waking up, the taking a look. And then the second kind of knowledge, uh, the second kind of enlightenment is the word light used in the sense of no longer heavy because we have set down the burden. We found the escape. We see the danger. And so we set it down. And to now things have light from light. So when we say lighten up, that's what the Buddha's teaching. That's a two-word definition of the entire teachings of the Buddha. Lighten up. Which is actually the word enlightenment. You are enlightened when you lighten up. <laughs> are you light enough to let somebody come sit in your basket? that's angry and heavy, and you can just take them off into the wild blue yonder.
2: How light are you? Are you light enough to carry someone that's heavy around and still be light? That's a skill to be developed.
0: And so that's what the word enlightenment actually means, but Western I have Western Buddhism and all the people have a magical understanding of the word enlightenment. Rather than recognizing that people pass in and out of enlightenment on a regular basis, three, four times a day, people get, you know, they shine a light on it, see what it is, and then they lighten up. An example of that would be that they uh, get the electric bill and they don't want to open it because they know it's so high. And so they fuss and they fume about it, but they haven't even opened it. And every time they see that envelope, they get mad and whatever like that. And they haven't opened it. Once they open it and and see the knowledge of it, they can ring, oh well, that bad that bill is not so bad that the the bill actually was was worse when I didn't know what it was. Now that I know what it is, I can say I can handle that. And so this is the knowledge and the deliverance. And that knowledge comes from repeated looking and looking and looking. Or another way of saying it is stop and take a look. So that's all there is to it. There's nothing much more. It's a very easy process. But we had to remember to do it over and over and over again, because things are likely to get started up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is going to start up again? Unwholesome thoughts. You're going to get unwholesome thoughts from the anger guy. You're going to get unwholesome thoughts from the miserable guy. You're going to get unwholesome thoughts from your own mind. They just they're, they're there. Then, in fact, the unwholesome thoughts outweigh the wholesome thoughts by a large order of magnitude that there's no end to the lies that we can tell, but the truth is actually quite small. An example would be of how tall are you? Well, you're a certain kind of tall. You may be 183 centimeters or something like that. That's, by the way, six feet. But when you're telling the truth, that's an exact match. You can put it on a machine and measure it, and that's what it is with or without shoes etc and, and within the temperature range that we're working with scales don't move that much and so the, the difference between 183 centimeters at zero temperature and 183 centimeters when it's 50 degrees celsius doesn't make much difference however if I lie about how tall I am there's no end to it I'm 12 feet tall I'm a hundred yards, I'm a mile high, I'm two inches high. You see, there's no end to the lies that we can tell. That's also true about unwholesome. Wholesome is actually quite small because it's real, it's truth. And unwholesome is just all over the place. And so when we stop, that means that we can stop at the truth.
1: Now, when we feel the sukha, um then you don't have to stop? Is that Would you say that's true?
0: Well, that would be correct, um, up to a point. And that is, is that everything gets heavy and everything gets old. This is part of the reason why both Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and others will talk about that pity. while it is marvelous, it also can get old. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it too can get heavy. And when it does, then we can let that stop and come back to rest of just sukha. And when sukha gets too heavy, we can let that rest into upeka.
2: Can you describe
1: upeka? Was- can you describe upeka to me?
0: There are two kinds of upeka. One is the opaque where we're uh, completely stopped. And then the other kind of opaque is when it also has to do with a stop, but this is the one that would be uh, better uh, understood as dynamic balance. Or another way of talking about dynamic balance is sea legs, that the deck of the ship is back and forth like this, the captain He's stable. He can walk down that that uh, uh, the, from the uh, down the deck. he can he can do it because he's been on that boat and he's got his sea legs. The landlubber, the one who is new on large fishing boats, when the deck goes like this, so does he. So, in a way, you can say that the, sh- the sea captain is wise enough and sharp enough that even though the deck is moving under his feet, he's still has stopped he's not waving like the deck is he can maintain his balance dynamic balance so that would be a way of talking about upeka is is that when we come finally come to the point of rest because we have dynamic balance so even though you have Let's say the deck wobbling underneath your feet is like you have to deal with people who are angry, you have to deal with people who are sad. You have to deal with people who are unhappy and whatnot. Can you maintain your sea legs of joy and happiness? Or do you have to go get all agitated like they're agitated?
2: Or can you stop?
0: So that's the question, I guess, you could have. That's in fact the investigation. Can we stop? Can we stop these
2: thoughts? And the the
0: first method would be to by substituting them with wholesome thoughts. But eventually we could just get to the point of just stopping the thought. Mm -hmm. Just stop.
2: and experience what's going on rather than thinking about what's going on. So there's a lot
0: of different ways to talk about it, but always when we're talking about it, we're talking about it in concepts. The question is, can you understand through these concepts that I'm teaching and put yourself into that position so that you understand it? That really all there is to it is just stop. Even though the world is in turmoil, are you going to turmoil with it? That's dukkha. Are you going to stop? Because yourself is not that turmoil. You are not the turmoil. There's nothing to me. There's nothing to it, so there's nothing to get agitated. Just because agitation is there doesn't mean I've got to be agitated along with it. So going back to the ship, when that. Deck is going like that, it's the one who is unskilled. He goes with the deck. And if he falls down on the deck, he's going to experience dukkha. He becomes the deck. Just like when we're around other people who are angry or miserable. We become angry or miserable. Because we don't have the sea legs or we don't have the balance to, to stop.
2: Yeah,
1: that's very really useful. Okay. Um, remembering to stop. <laughs> stop. <Yeah>. Remembering. <laughs> and then just stop. Huh.
0: Yeah, that's the right effort is just to stop.
1: <laughs> and that feels really good. And then when the good feeling is starts to not feel so good, then you stop again. And you whoo, go into something better. And then uh-huh. okay, I think I get it.
0: I know, I can see. I know you got it this time. That's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And congratulations. You've gotten what we're talking about. But the right thing to do is just stop.
1: Perfect.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. All right, Scott. Well, let's finish this one, and we'll talk later. I'm glad let's that you got it. something really valuable out of it. So now you can go and practice to stop. <laughs>
1: we'll do. We'll do.
0: We'll see ya.